0: Hey there everyone, my name is Dave Keller. I'm the Chief Market Strategist at StockCharts.com here in uh, beautiful Redmond, Washington. It's so awesome to participate in this uh, Synergy Traders Friendsgiving 2023 conference. I so appreciate the kind invite from uh, David and others there and I uh, hope it's been an enjoyable event. I think mine is slated to be the final presentation of the uh, of the multiple day conference. And I appreciate uh, those of you that have hung out uh to uh to the big finish of my presentation i entitled this presentation seven questions to ask uh, before every trade what i find is uh you know novice investors novice traders Uh, Certainly novice technical analysts tend to have a very undisciplined process. And I've spent a lot of time with some very successful investors. And one of the takeaways I would share with you is that they have a very disciplined process. They know what they're good at. They know what they're not good at. They have a really good self-awareness, right? So they have a sense of where their strengths and weaknesses are. And they've addressed those weaknesses uh, very, very well. And part of addressing those weaknesses is by having good, disciplined, structured decision-making processes. They know what, uh, what they do, they know what information they wanna consume, how they're gonna do it. They know the steps that they wanna take to uh, put something in their portfolio or take something out. Uh, and they do that same process over and over and over. I've often joked with people: investing, if you're doing it right, should be pretty boring. As much as we want to, uh, you know, uh, celebrate the uh, you know exciting world of trading and everything, if you're doing it right, it's a lot of discipline. It's a lot of heads down, focusing on consistent routines, and, and that's what I have found more than anything. We've got a lot of other things in our lives we can do for uh, for excitement. Uh, hopefully, making undisciplined decisions is not one of those things that you do. So. What we're going to do through this presentation, I'm really just going to share the seven questions that I ask before every single trade. And it's a very technically oriented checklist. At the end, I'll give you an opportunity to, uh, you know, to get my checklist and also create your own, uh, which I think is, uh, is a, hopefully something you're able to, uh, to do. If you don't have a good structured decision-making process, hopefully this is your inspiration between now and your end uh, to uh, inject a little more discipline in what you're doing. Just a couple uh, comments on who I am and where I come from. So uh, I. I have been in the markets for about 23 years now. Uh, I actually started in uh, New York at a firm called Bloomberg, which is a market data provider. They very happily hired uh, liberal arts majors like me. I studied music and psychology at the Ohio State University. And uh, basically, uh, they brought a bunch of us to New York and, uh, you know, put us in a classroom with a bunch of finance and econ majors. And at the end of six weeks together, uh, the finance and econ majors had helped Uh, teach people like me what stocks are, uh, how to calculate a bond yield, what the Fed is and what it does, all that sort of thing. And I was able to teach them how to ask questions, how to listen, how to present content well. And uh, in the end, we all came out a little more uh, well-rounded. I was at Fidelity Investments from 2008 to 2016. I was a managing director of research. So I ran two of the research groups there as part of the asset management division. So we ran all all the equity mutual funds. And uh, technical research was the main group that I managed, including the Fidelity chart room. And our job was to help teach market history to our investors inside uh, the firm, uh, help teach market history and investor psychology to our clients. We would uh, have thousands of Fidelity clients that would come through the chart room at Fidelity uh, every year and we uh, we would help illustrate how we think of the markets and how we would approach the markets using the language of charting and technical analysis. Um, along, uh, Fast forward a couple logos here, we have my own firm called Sierra Alpha Research which I la- launched in 2017 after I left Fidelity. Uh, I actually operate uh, mostly under the brand of Market Misbehavior. and uh, My goal is really to empower individual investors and financial advisors to make better decisions using a lot of the things that I learned from working with some really, institutional, uh, really uh, successful institutional investors earlier in my career and, and really implying the lessons of behavioral finance and technical analysis. Uh, uh, for investing and and what I would tell you is that uh, the two most important tools you could have in your arsenal are behavioral finance which is what happens between your ears which is something we love to not think about because you have to be vulnerable you have to have an honest conversation with yourself about what's happening in your head but I would argue it is probably the most important thing you can do is have an honest assessment with yourself about what you're good at and what you're not good at. And then also uh, technical analysis, which I would say is a practical toolkit to upgrade your situational awareness. And I'll share with you some lessons I've learned from uh, learning to fly airplanes and how I've uh, still applied those lessons uh, to this day as a, as a trader, as an investor. I joined StockCharts.com in uh, 2019, relocated to the Pacific Northwest. We're here in Redmond, Washington now, uh, and uh, and it's been a lot of fun following the footsteps of people like John Murphy, who you know wrote the first book I ever read on technical analysis and uh, is still our chief technical analyst here at, uh, at StockCharts. Now, the reason why I'm showing you this in a chart format is really to highlight a couple things. Number one, recognize that the overall trend in stocks is up. And I always remind people when they are big on shorting stocks, when they're big on fighting bullish trends and and betting on downside, that can be a very profitable approach on a very limited time frame. What you have to remember is over centuries and centuries of financial market history it is a story of growth. And there have been meaningful drawdowns, right? Like the Great Depression, uh, like any sort of bubble after its burst. I mean, go back to like the tulip mania or South Sea bubble or any of those sorts of things. But even in the modern area, things like, uh, you know, the tech bubble crashing in the early 2000s, the financial crisis, 1987 crash, 1994 bear market, uh, 90s, any of these other periods, Uh, the 74 market low. Uh, But you have to remember is every one of those times that I just mentioned, the market has fully recovered and much, much more. So, you know, what I I remind people is uh, being short can be a very successful short-term approach. But over the long term, you are fighting a long history of uh, the appreciation of risk assets. I think that will continue because the global economy continues to grow, population continues to grow, and uh, for the foreseeable future, hopefully that's the case. The other thing to point out though, is just in my short 23 year career, I've had a lot of drawdowns and I've highlighted just in percentage terms, some of the drawdowns that I've experienced. And and what I will tell you is that I've survived them. so, So you can survive them. And I would argue that technical analysis is one of the ways that I've been able to navigate some of these challenging periods fairly successfully because the charts give you very clear signs when there is a change of character, when something has been working and it no longer works anymore. Now, I mentioned I'm located in Redmond, Washington. We're in the upper left corner here of the United States. And if you don't know the Pacific Northwest, it is a beautiful uh, area of the country. Uh, you have mountains, rivers, uh, a lot of water. Uh, this is the Puget Sound. Is this big chunk out of the U.S. in the upper left this is where Vancouver and Seattle and Victoria, B.C. are all on the uh, the Puget Sound. Uh, and in Remen, Washington, it's uh, it's really pretty. Uh, the the summers are long days and uh, never gets too uh, hot because again the mountains sort of cushion us from any sort of a uh, humidity. Uh, in the winters, it rains quite a bit because we're in a temperate rainforest, but it never snows too often. It doesn't get too cold. It sort of stays in that kind of fifty to eighty range usually most of the time. And what's beautiful about that is that um, there's a lot of volatility and there's a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty, which sounds a lot like investing, but You know, you have mountains, you have a lot of good outdoor activities like hiking and mountain biking. And I'll tell you when we were relocating from the Midwest uh, out to the Pacific Northwest and and we knew there was a big outdoor culture here. I remember uh, talking with my wife about what we could do to encourage our kids to be more outdoorsy and just be more adventurous outside. And I got this book out of the library, and this quote came out of it that said, "There's no such thing as bad weather, only inappropriate clothing." I think that is such a brilliant way of thinking about uh, the weather in this area of the country, or really in a lot of parts of the country. Here, um, you know, this is a picture of my family. Uh, we were going snowshoeing, and what's cool about living where there's mountains is uh, in the winters. I mean, there's ten feet of snow on the ground up in the up in the mountains in the Cascade Mountains or in the Olympic Mountains, and so you can go up and. You know, be snowshoeing on feet of snow and, and go through these rugged, beautiful, i mean, just pristine, beautiful winter, uh, winter areas. In our house, which was only an hour away from where I took this picture, it was about 60 degrees and rainy uh, at the same time. And that's just what the, you know, the, the different altitudes can, uh, can do for you. But what you learn very quickly when you're hiking in the outdoors uh, in, in, in uh, remote areas like this is that you have a couple things you have to keep in mind. And I found what makes a good hike is uh, three things. Number one, plan your route, right? So you have to plan things out ahead of time. We use an app called AllTrails, which is fantastic. Uses your GPS, you can plan things ahead of time, download your maps, then have a pretty good sense of where you're at. It's really hard to get lost too much, as long as you have a cell signal, uh, which is is questionable at times, but you know, you have a good idea of where, where you're at. You need to be prepared so this is us taking a break actually a little bit later in that hike we dug uh, down a couple of feet and uh, sort of settled in to keep warm we have some blankets on the ground there but you'll notice we got the winter gear on right we've got the puffy jackets and we have backpacks on our backs with all sorts of stuff so we would have rain gear um, snowshoes Uh, micro spikes which are little spikes you put on your hiking boots to give you more traction in icy conditions and a bunch of other things, a bunch of food and water. You would never go on a hike like this. We were gone for about five hours. You'd never go on this kind of hike without a backpack full of necessary supplies. Emergency equipment, first aid kits, Food, water. Um, we have our dog there, uh, who's there basically to, you know, help us navigate, but also to make sure that we don't get into some uncomfortable situation. Um, so making sure that uh, you know that uh, any bears or cougars, in some times of the year, uh, you know, don't go to, to get too close to the hikers. Um, so you have to be prepared, right, and, and know that uh, things could be crazy. The third one is you have to observe your conditions. You simply have to keep your eyes and your ears and your nose open. You have to be aware when you get into bad circumstances. So because often what happens when hikers get into trouble they go way off the beaten path right they go into a situation where there's an avalanche or where the ground is unstable where um you know there's something hidden that you don't see and all of a sudden you fall into a hole um a post hole they call it when you all of a sudden just go feet down and it's very easy to get into a situation and unfortunately there's nowhere nearby uh, to get help and it's actually quite difficult so you have to make sure that you are using your senses now, everything that I just described, those three things, I would argue are the three things you need to do to have a good a good trade. You need to plan your trade ahead of time. You would never just buy a stock and then just hope that it goes up and hopefully you don't do that. That is not the way you trade effectively, right? You need to have a consistent process. You need to plan things out ahead of time think about where you're going to uh where you're going to uh entry and exit or your, your ideal entry and exit points you need to be prepared you need to recognize that your toolkit your backpack needs to have a lot of different things i would argue technical analysis should be a big part of that uh, uh that trading toolkit but it needs to be uh, uh something that's going to help improve your awareness and the third item you need to observe conditions you need to recognize when the market's moving against your position because a lot of times we get into Behavioral problems where we hold on to something way too long, it's called the endowment bias or the endowment effect. We hold on to something way too long because our emotional attachment to that trade or to that position, instead of just recognizing that it's no longer a good position for us uh, at that given moment. Um, Just a couple more slides and I'll get to the seven questions that I like to ask. Uh, I would argue my investment thesis generally and my philosophy on investing is that humans are emotional. The reason why charts work so well and continue to work in 2023, and will continue to work for many moons beyond that, is because humans are emotional. We are afraid a lot. On the upside, we have FOMO, fear of missing out. You're certainly seeing that in November of 2023. After a week, October, November rips to the upside. Uh, on the downside, it's the fear of losing everything, right? The fear of something going to zero. And so investors and traders that are motivated motivated by fear, motivated by emotions, tend to make poor decisions. And I think the technical toolkit primarily is a way of capturing that fear and recognizing it and also giving us a toolkit to help minimize emotional inputs in our own process. Now. What we should do, and if you think about what is a rational way to uh, make a decision versus what we actually do. Well, here's what we actually do. We often make a decision first, and then we gather evidence. This is called confirmation bias. It is probably the most common bias that I've observed in 23 years in the industry. You make your decision first. I'm bullish on Amazon. I'm bearish on Las Vegas Sands or whatever stock or ETF or asset class you want to put in there. You make the decision first, then you start gathering evidence, and you're not gathering evidence to make a better decision. You're gathering evidence to make yourself feel better about a decision you've already made. So your whole process of observing market conditions and analyzing charts and analyzing fundamental data, whatever you do, is simply to nurture your fragile ego and make yourself feel better about a decision that you've already made. Now, of course, if you think about it, what you should do is make your decision after you gather evidence. Focus on gathering evidence. Have a clean slate. Don't think about your positioning or anything, just start gathering information, right, and see what the weight of the evidence is. Then, make your decision based on the weight of the evidence. This is what I call an evidence-driven approach, as opposed to an emotion-driven approach. Super important, and by the way, we're here at the end of uh, November. Someone pointed out to me recently that the two uh, color schemes I picked out were Ohio State's colors, and uh, our local hometown Seattle Seahawks. And I'd never really thought of that until they pointed out, you're absolutely right. I think in, in when you put together a flow chart in PowerPoint in the fall, at least for me, I'm immediately drawn to uh, football colors. So uh, sorry for that, but hopefully uh, if you're a fan of other teams, uh, the, the uh, takeaway from the slide still resonates for you. I mentioned I've had a lot of experience uh, trying to learn how to fly airplanes. And uh, I will tell you, when you learn to fly airplanes, what you're immediately taught is situational awareness. My own firm, which is called Sierra Alpha Research, uh, that those letters Sierra and Alpha S and A stand for situational awareness. That's why I called the firm that. Uh, Because it was such a great concept, right? As a pilot, you are learned to always pay attention to what's happening inside the cockpit and outside of the airplane. Because most of the time for private pilots, the reason why uh, private pilots crash is because of bad decision making and it's often because of poor situational awareness. You fly into a cloud and get disoriented. You lose track of where you are and you get lost and you run out of fuel. Um, You run into other traffic or a mountain or some other obstacle that you, had you just paid attention better, you probably would have noticed. So you learn to look down at the dashboard in the Cessna 172R and look at this information and quickly assess the conditions uh, that the the plane is telling you about. And recognizing that things like fuel levels and wind speed and uh, direction and altitude are super important measures that you need uh, need to be following. And then you also need to open your eyes and look outside just like we talked about with hiking. You need to look outside the dashboard and just sort of see what's going on. Are there any clouds, inclement weather, other planes, mountains, um, you know, bodies of water, anything that you should know about and make sure that you address before you get into a bad situation. I would encourage you to think about uh, how you upgrade your own situational awareness. Thinking about things you could do better uh, going into the holiday season. Think about how you can upgrade your situational situational awareness in uh, 2024 and beyond. Um, A couple more things here and and, uh, just to set the stage for the seven questions that I'll I'll share with you. I think trend following is an important concept you know depending on what time frame you're on um, you know trend following is either a really good idea or a really bad idea and, uh, and again some of you may be short-term traders and that's totally fine some of you may be very long-term investors and that's fine too I generally am kind of in the middle I'm sort of a medium-term investor I guess I'm usually looking out a couple months on average um, and happy to take a longer uh, you know a longer term position and 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 take uh, shorter term positions as well but my general sweet spot is I'm looking one to three months down the road on, in general right um, the point is if you look at data over time look at decades and decades of equity and ETF data what you will find is that if you're looking out a couple months, trend following should be how you approach the markets, generally speaking. That's what tends to work. Meaning, buying strength and following that to further strength tends to work. Underweighting, weak areas of the market tends to work because on that time frame, trends tend to persist. Now, if you're a shorter-term trader, if you're a swing trader, it's the opposite. You're better off buying weakness and selling strength because these are these short-term peaks and valleys that make up the larger trends that I'm kind of looking at, right? So swing trading, if you're anywhere shorter than that, you're better off playing mean reversion, right? Betting on that natural over and undershooting uh, that the market does uh, around a theoretical price level, and that makes sense. Over multiple years, if you're a longer-term investor, you're kind of back to that cyclical nature of the markets mean reversion, right? Because this is where you get into the business cycle, the economic cycle, the fact that themes and sectors and strategies tend to come in and out of favor over multiple years. And so you're back to buying weakness and selling strength on a longer term basis. So in my retirement account, that's more the type of thing that I'm, uh, I'm trying to accomplish. So for me, Trend following is that sweet spot about a couple of months out and, you know, analyzing a chart like semiconductors, thinking about those multiple time frames, I think is really helpful. In this particular moment, this was at the beginning of December of uh, uh, 2020. So this is the COVID low in March of 2020, we had this nice rally and semiconductors ended up having a really good, uh, you know, beginning to 2021, uh, outperformed in the first six months certainly of the year uh, before things uh, continue to evolve. You know, when a market is this extended from a moving average, I tend to think, th- think two things. Number one, on my main time frame, the medium-term time frame, this is a strong chart. I'd love to own charts like this and ride them to continued strength. But if I'm more of a short-term trader, I'm probably looking for some sort of pullback, right? Some sort of actionable pullback. That mean reversion back to the average price, kind of what we saw back here, those pullbacks to the 50-day moving average before the uptrend is continued. And again, those pullbacks of higher highs and higher lows kind of make the trend that I would be looking for. Uh, Checklists are super important and when you're a pilot, you use checklists a ton and you learn that the way that you take emotions out of your process, which is what pilots are trying to do and I would argue traders should be trying to do as well, you learn to do things in a very consistent way and having a checklist, a list of steps that you follow no matter what is super important. Pilots that have been flying for thousands of hours in the air. Still, if you, you know, walk onto a commercial flight and look left at the uh, cockpit, you will see them still going through a checklist. Even though they've done it literally thousands and thousands of times, they still go through the same checklist every time because you learn and you're taught that that's what's most important. And so why would you do anything different with a trade, right? These are uh, the seven steps in my own checklist. These are the seven questions that I ask before every trade. And for the remainder of the presentation, we're gonna walk through each of them, show an example of how I would analyze the chart using those uh, questions. And I would encourage you again, at the end to think about what is on your own checklist. And again, I'll have a, a link, a QR code at the end. You're welcome to uh, go to my website and give you a checklist you can uh, download to um, uh, to create your own. Hopefully that gives you some, uh, uh, some opportunity to improve uh, your own decision making. Let's go through each of those one by one and uh, we'll build my checklist uh, from scratch. So first off, the first question, what is the current trend? And I love to say that uh, my son, Henry, who's seven years old, I love to think, you know, if I showed Henry a chart, would he say it's going up or down, right? And that's the level of basic trend analysis you need to be on. It doesn't need to be complicated. As much as the financial industry convinces you or tries to convince you that things need to be complex and complicated, I would argue they really don't. Simplicity is a much more uh, consistent way to uh, analyze things and, and allows you to, uh, to, to be successful in different uh, environments. Uh, Go for simple and repeatable and not complex and uh, and not repeatable. So my basic assessment of this chart, what tells you that the chart of Alphabet in August of 2023 is going up? And I would tell you it's the simple process of analyzing the highs and lows. If you look at a trend, you can see that the overall direction of the trend So you can see going down in 2022, going up in 2023. But what really tells you that the trend is uh, going up or down? Well, moving averages are one. That's actually a a question we're going to ask here in a moment. It's the second question. But when we're thinking about price itself, we go back to what Charles Dow originally taught us in the early 20th century, which is basically an uptrend, is a pattern of higher highs and higher lows. So the reason why the chart of alphabet is going up and why our eyes tell us that's the case is because the high prices are getting higher. These peaks are getting higher. And the lows are getting higher as well the valleys and the prices keep going higher so in an uptrend like this what my one of my mentors ralph acampora always told me is don't worry about the new highs we keep making new highs what you want to look for is that pullback right do we pull back and make a higher low and as long as that keeps happening the trend is just fine so you know soon after this august september you started to see lower lows and that was one of the things that told me that this raging uptrend in the first half of 2023 was really taking a serious break in the third quarter So when you bring up a chart, at least for me, the first thing I do question I ask is, what is the current trend? The second question, where is the price relative to moving averages? What can the moving averages tell us about the conditions? Now, I'm using 50-day simple moving averages and 200-day simple moving averages in red. That's what I use on most of my charts. Uh, And and the reason why I do that is because I think they're a very straightforward way of defining the trend. It's a simple approach to doing so, uh, easy to calculate and easy to uh, to analyze, uh, but also because a lot of investors look at that. And one of the things I learned from time at a, at a shop like Fidelity is even portfolio managers that were not big technical investors always knew where the 200-day moving average was and the trading desk that was actually executing the trades, you better believe that they knew exactly where the price was relative to the 200-day. So I like looking at things that I know investors managing billions of dollars are also looking at. I think that uh, makes me feel good about it. So in this case, you know, what told you that Activision Blizzard had rotated from an uptrend phase In the first half of uh 2021 to a downtrend phase it really was persisting at the end of 2021 and i would say the shape of the moving averages certainly tells you here on the left side of the chart we're above an upward sloping 200-day moving average on the right side of the chart we're below a downward sloping 200-day moving average you can see these you know uh, rallies up to a declining 50-day moving average all these things tell me that the world had changed what we call a change of character from this part first two-thirds of the chart to the right third of the chart, right, things were different, and recognizing that change is what 's so important. I think the fact that the price is below two downward sloping moving averages and when you see that sort of configuration that 's a really easy uh, you know call that the chart is going down and and uh, and as long as that remains the case, the trend is still uh, trend is still lower. The third question I would ask, are there any significant price patterns, any price patterns that might help me understand Uh, the context of what I've uh, answered in the first two questions. This is an example of what's called an inverted head and shoulders pattern. If you're looking for a classic head and shoulders pattern, a chart like LVS Las Vegas Sands is a good recent example in the second half of 2023 that shows kind of a, a high surrounded by lower highs. If you flip that upside down, this is what's called an inverted head and shoulders bottom pattern. Uh, So you have a head, uh, a left shoulder, a right shoulder. Uh, You can, you know, in general what what you want to see is that the left and right shoulders are pretty similar. Uh, There should be a similarity between the two. And you can see the neckline which is the uh, the interim highs between the head and the two shoulders. You draw a trend line connecting those highs. That breakout right there above the neckline completes this uh, inverted head and shoulders bottoming pattern suggests much further upside uh, for this bank, which is called Cadence Bank. This is from uh, August of this year when I took uh, took the picture. So, recognizing that an inverted head and shoulders may be forming, recognizing that the neckline has been broken. That's what I'd be looking for. And again, if you think about it, this is what Charles Dow was talking about, right? We're making, making lower lows and lower highs, all of a sudden we're making a higher low, and here we're making a higher high. So the first question would also confirm the fact that this is now going up. This pattern confirms that that's a rotation that's uh, that's played out as well. And there are other patterns as well, like a a coil pattern like you might see on the chart of Tesla, uh, other patterns you can observe as well. The fourth question I ask for every trade: What is the price? Where is the price relative to key support and resistance levels? Here in uh, November of 2023, and I'm recording this uh, a couple days before it's uh, it's being broadcast. So. Things might have changed a little bit on the chart of Amazon. This is from uh, the day I'm recording, the day before I'm recording here on November 9th. And Amazon is testing a key resistance level. I always tell people, start with the current price and look to the left. My show on Stock Charts TV, which you should all watch, by the way, is called The Final Bar. You can find it on our YouTube channel called Stock Charts TV. Uh, and The Final Bar is called The Final Bar for a couple of reasons. But the main reason is because when I teach technical analysis, I always tell people, start with the final bar, the current price and then look to the left. A lot of times when people are learning technical analysis, they read it like you would read a book in English. So you start at the left, look at the company, look at the trend in the chart, and then kind of get to the current price, get to the good stuff. What you want to do is start right to left, start with the current price and then work backwards and think about where we're at relative to where we've been. And then at the end of your analysis of the price, then look to see what the stock is or what the ticker is, right? If you start with the ticker, you actually unlock some uh, behavioral biases you don't want to unlock. So think about the price first and look, uh, start at the right and look to the left. So here we can see Amazon rallying up to a pretty established uh, resistance level. This is the level above which the price has been on un- able to go. And if you look, the current level lines up with the September high, the August high, and even the August 2022 high. So recognizing that we're at a level where the market has topped out before, I would argue, is a pretty important data point to, uh, to excuse me recognize. We're analyzing the part, uh, chart of Amazon today. Question number five, what can technical indicators tell me about price conditions? This is a step that I call confirmation. You know, Up until now, we've just been analyzing the price itself. I think a lot of technical analysts, a lot of traders using charts, tend to use way too many indicators and tend to uh, start way too early analyzing indicators. To me, and indicators are more secondary. The best thing you can do is look at a price chart. If I was a swing trader or anything short term, I would be using candle charts. On the time frame, I look at, Bar and candle charts are pretty much interchangeable. There's not a lot more you can get from one or the other. But on a shorter term time frame, candle charts are actually vital. I would argue because it tells you a lot about the short term sentiment, right? Buyers and sellers, the interplay between fear and greed. I think candle charts tell that story beautifully. And I'll show you at the end if I remember. I probably will forget. So sorry about that. But on stock charts, ACP, my go to view has a candle chart, uh, and then it has a uh, like a short term candle chart with the last month then a one-year daily chart, and then a five-year weekly chart. Those are the three charts I look at at any point to help me connect the very long term to the very short term. And I would encourage you to think along those same way. So once you add indicators to your process, which I think should be a little bit later than you might think, indicators can tell you a little bit more about the trend in prices and help you anticipate when those trends might be reversed. Two of the indicators that I use, one I'm showing here is RSI, the Relative Strength Index, and this is an example that Apple showed at the end of July, which is called a bearish momentum divergence. That's when price is going higher, but instead of the momentum indicator, here I'm using RSI, instead of the momentum going up, the momentum actually slopes downwards. So you have higher highs in price, lower peaks in momentum, and that actually tells you that the uptrend is probably at the latter stages, probably at the end of this uh, uptrend phase. We've gapped lower and uh, now breaking lower, and but that happens after this bearish momentum divergence. It's usually more of a leading indicator, telling you that we might be nearing the end of that upward trend phase. So how would I think of this? So if I'm looking at Amazon, or excuse me, Apple, in late July and I see this bearish momentum divergence that might tell me to hold off on any purchases because I would expect a pretty good drawdown because of that divergence not guaranteed but highly likely so I want to be patient and wait for a good short term pullback to add maybe to in a position in, in Apple question number six out of seven what is the relative strength of this stock or ETF versus other stocks in the bottom Uh, panel on my charts here is the relative performance of whatever stock or ETF I'm bringing up versus the S&P 500. You can do this just as a simple ratio one data series divided by the other and you're looking at the trend right if it trends upwards that means it's outperforming. If it's going downwards it can be underperforming. Now a lot of people use these levels as meaningful points I really don't pay too much attention to it. So I'm expressing this in percentage terms. I don't think you really need that. It's more about the direction of this line. And uh, one of the great uh, uh, quotes I have on this is uh, when I was at uh, Fidelity in Boston, there's an analyst named John Roque who was at a brokerage in New York. He was a big Yankees fan. And I worked with a bunch of Red Sox fans up in Boston. I'm a Cleveland Guardians fan. So I was pretty much uh, didn't like any of them (laughs) from a baseball perspective, though they're nice human beings, but we did not agree sports wise anyways. Uh, he would come up to, uh, to uh, speak to a room of Red Sox fans, and the way he would pitch relative strength was, a, was like this. He would say, all right, let's pretend you are managing the Boston Red Sox. The Yankees are coming in town. You want to beat them. Who would you put on the field? Your bench-warming players who are kind of going through a slump, not hitting particularly well, or your top players hitting the best at their peak? Who would you rather put on the field? Who would give you a better opportunity to beat the Yankees? And obviously you want to put your strongest players that are going to give you the best opportunity to win. So why would you do anything else with your portfolio? What this relative strength line at the very bottom shows you is when the line's going up, that means you're outperforming your benchmark over a period of time. When the line's going down, you're underperforming. And if you want to outperform a passive product like the SPY or the QQQ, you want to own things where this line is going up. You want to own things that are outperforming the benchmark because otherwise, you're not getting it done. You're not really doing what uh, you need to be doing. So, in this case, if you look at the chart of Amazon, for two thirds of this chart, it's going flat, right? So, and again, on the swing trading time frame, great opportunities in the short term. And I'm using a an indicator like RSI, even like a nine day RSI, a little shorter from a three day RSI, to kind of capture those short term swings, I think it would be a brilliant trading strategy. But as a medium-term, long-term investor, you really went nowhere, right? Amazon in January of 2022 is pretty much the same it was in July of 2020, think about that. But the price is going sideways. You're not really losing any money holding Amazon this entire time, but you're getting killed on a relative basis because this is during 2021, when most stocks were actually going up and the benchmarks were going up as well. Owning things that are flat when the market is going up means you're underperforming. It just tells you that this is not a good chart. Even if you're not losing money, it's not a bad absolute trade, uh, but you're, not, you're, you're losing. It's more the opportunity cost. The fact that you're losing out on the opportunity to own things that are actually doing much better on a relative basis. The seventh question that I would ask before every trade: What is my exit strategy? And this is a vital. This is maybe the most important of the seven. Uh, you know, I was taught that all large losses begin as small losses. So what you have to remember is by minimizing your downside risk by having some trailing stop or even a simple percentage stop that gets you out of a losing trade before it really crushes your portfolio. That is the game. It's not about being right all the time. You're actually going to be wrong a lot. As you probably know, if you've been trading or investing for any period of time, I'm sure you've been wrong, and in some cases very wrong. Uh, And that's tough, right? And I think one of the toughest things about trading is recognizing the reality that you're going to be wrong a lot, right? A lot more than you probably want to. So it's not about being right all the time. It's about when you're right, staying right, right? Letting your winners run when you're wrong admitting you're wrong which is it's not a technical issue it is a behavioral issue it's an in your head issue it's admitting that your decision was the wrong one it was not the right time the market is moving against you admitting it taking you know exiting a position getting out of a of a losing position and making sure that you're not riding it downwards now what our brain does is it actually wants us to hold on to our losers because we don't wanna be wrong and take profits on our winners. Uh, Peter Lynch famously said, that's like watering your weeds, right? It's like pulling your flowers out of the ground and watering your weeds. That's not the way to make your, uh, your flower bed look particularly good, right? It's not, not the way you garden, right? You pull your weeds, you pull your losing uh, trades, you nurture and you water your flowers. You want those to grow. And so don't do anything different uh, with your portfolio. So this is actually a picture I took off the right wingtip. I was flying back to my home airport, which is Norwood, uh, uh, just uh, southwest of uh, Boston, Massachusetts. And as I was flying home, I took this picture off the right wingtip of Providence, Rhode Island. This is Providence Harbor and, uh, and the uh, uh, city of Providence. And this is Cape Cod, kind of hazy in the background. It was a nice, beautiful day, uh, summer day, you know, beautiful view. And I'd finished all the really tough parts of my solo flight, and I was, I was uh, enjoying the view. but. As I was enjoying the view of Providence, Rhode Island, I also knew off my left wing tip about two and a half miles was North Central Airport, uh, and I knew the uh, uh, the airport diagram because I looked it up to, uh, looked it up ahead of time. I knew the wind speed, and given my altitude and uh, where I was at, pretty confident if my engine had to cut out at that moment or some emergency, pretty uh, pretty confident I could get the plane down safely. And I had the emergency frequency already sketched out, so if something would happen, I would immediately go down, you know, call out a Mayday get in the right position and I'm pretty sure I would be able to get the plane down uh, with, with very little issue, even with no power. And what you're taught as a pilot is when things are going well, that's when you plan out your exit strategy. You're always looking around for a suitable place to land, a golf course, a road without a lot of power lines, somewhere where if something horrible would happen, you would at least be able to get the plane down safely and live to fly again. Uh, And you don't wait for something bad to happen to figure out what you're gonna do about it. As investors, as traders, I find that happens way too often, right? You wait for the trade to go against you and then you figure out what you're gonna do about it. And what you have to remember is, uh, you know, you need to think about it right up front. When I uh, make a trade, any trade, in any portfolio that I've ever managed, I have a paper process, pretty old school, but it works for me. And I write three lines in a notebook with a paper and pencil. The three lines I, I write are this, number one, What am i doing i'm buying x shares of y uh at this level line number two why am i doing it what technical reason fundamental reason macro reason what is compelling me to make this and in a very concise description line three is what am I what's gonna tell me that I'm wrong right what's my exit I'm gonna exit at this level I'm gonna exit if this signal happens if this does not play out as expected whatever it's gonna be I have my 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 trade my reason for the trade and what's gonna tell me that I'm wrong and that is the most important line that you never want to skip there's a thing called endowment bias which basically is a horrible thing your brain does. So when a trade stops working, you still hold on to it. I'm sure you can think of examples in your own experience where you've done this, right? A trade has been working. Las Vegas Sands making a new high in April of 2023. You're feeling like a rock star stock picking genius. But if you look from April to September, everything changed, right? Instead of making higher highs, we're making lower highs. Uh, we're making lower lows. We have a head and shoulders, really a complex head and shoulders top. That is validated. We've gone from above two upward-sloping moving averages to below two downward-sloping moving averages in uh, in September. Uh, the momentum has gotten more negative. The relative strength is going down. All of these things tell you something's wrong. But our idiot human brain compels us to hold on to a stock as it's losing because, and it really is because of our emotional attachment to that trait, that position. We don't want to admit that we're wrong. We don't like acknowledging that we made a bad decision, and so it's better off to just wait and see if it recovers, right? I'm sure you can come up with an example. Uh, Probably not too hard to come up with an example in your own experiences. So to avoid endowment bias, what you need to do is have a thorough process of reviewing your current positions. And one of the things that I do is just uh, go through a weekly uh, analytical process of every position I have and I look at the charts and I look for signs that good charts have become not so good charts anymore and I take action at that time. Now quickly I'll go through two examples, a buy idea and a sell idea and these are old ideas, uh, you know, just uh, full disclosure. These are, are good examples. I think demonstrate when the checklist is in agreement. And I, and I will tell you, I, I hope you can apply some of these lessons to current markets. And, and again, go through this. App. The, 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 the uh, conclusions are less important, in my opinion, than going having a consistent checklist to go through. So here's what uh, what, a, what, what lo- it looks like when the checklist, I would say, is pretty bullish. Right. This is Alphabet. Uh, in early 2019. This is coming off of a low in December of 2018. We're kind of rebounding here. So let's go through each one very quickly. What's the trend? We're making higher highs and higher lows. Again, what would Dave's son Henry say? It's going up. Uh, Number two, moving averages. Well, we just broke above the 200-day moving average, pulled back, and we're now continuing to go higher. I think that's pretty bullish. We're above the 50-day as well, which is sloping higher. Any price patterns? Maybe you would see this as like a little... Uh, coil pattern or symmetrical triangle pattern, maybe a pennant uh, that we've broken out, but overall pretty constructive. Support and resistance, well we've broken above a pretty good resistance level here around 11.50. Uh, back above, they we're actually above uh, the Fibonacci level at 11.70, so I'd like to see if that would hold. And I, my eye is going back to the October high here, just above 12.20. Any confirmation, well the momentum is strong but not excessive, it's not overbought, which I think is pretty bullish. Relative strength had been going down in the first two months, but now starting to break out, which is pretty good. And what's my exit strategy? Maybe if I'm long right here, I'd go back to the swing low around 11:30, the 200-day moving average, the 50% retracement, all around that level. Probably happy holding the stock above that point. If we break below there, I'd probably get out. Done, right? And, and again, hopefully, as you're getting started, there's you know think a lot more, take your time going through. But that is a brief rundown of what that checklist would look like. Let's look at a similar uh, a, a, a similar exercise, but now looking at more of a sell idea. This is Hershey's, uh, a, a consumer staple stock in August of 2023. What's the trend? Well, here you could see lower highs and lower lows. Dave's son Henry would say downtrend, and I think that's fair. Moving averages, well, we're below a downward sloping 50-day moving average, we've bounced off of the 200-day, but now we're below it. So I would say overall, uh, that's a problem. Any price patterns, you know, n- n- not really. I mean, you might argue this is a head and shoulders top. I don't think it's a very good one, so I would probably say not really. No no real patterns to pay attention to. Support and resistance, well, we broke down through a monster support level here around 237, we'll call it, the July low there's a price gap right there as well and gaps tend to be good resistance. So, you know, I think below, being below that level is pretty, is pretty uh, significant. Also, I would look to the left and recognize this area of support here, which is the low from November of 22 and January of 23, which is right around 210 to 212. Uh, confirmation, the momentum has gone from being very bullish here in the first half of the year to more bearish. The RSI is consistently below 50. Uh, we're oversold right now. That might be something to watch to look for a bit of a counter trend bounce, but overall I see this as more of a bearish phase. The relative strength has been going down for the last three months, so it's underperforming. So let's say I'm short the stock here. I'd probably be comfortable as long as we remain below that gap and below that price support around 237, 238. It's kind of the way that would tell me if I'm short here uh, or you know out of the market, that would me that maybe the the uptrend is starting to recover does that make sense now i've gone through the checklist and again the idea is to go through in this particular order that's what's made sense to me now i'm uh, sharing these seven questions with you here at the uh sort of mid-november late november of 2023 so just want to finish off with a couple brief charts talking about broader market conditions a lot of what i do in my work with stock charts and with my own firm uh, market misbehavior is uh help people improve their situational awareness that means thinking about the big picture as well so what are the current market conditions well number one i would say my market trend model is bullish on all three time frames that actually just happened recently in uh, in mid-november long-term medium-term short-term and i put a youtube video on my channel called market misbehavior if you check it out uh, sort of mid-november you'll find a video where we talk about this uh, particular uh, market trend model, how it's constructed and, uh, and what it means that it's all bullish, but overall it tells me that in the short term we're getting strength, in the medium term we're seeing strength, and in the long term uh, this is a strong market. So I, I would consider this market innocent until proven guilty. The daily chart of the S&P 500 really showing that we're nearing that very important resistance around 4600. Uh, you know when you think about the major growth stocks like Microsoft, Alphabet, Uh, Nvidia, um, Apple, uh, Amazon, many of these are testing significant resistance levels, testing their highs from the summer of 2023. I think the big question for this market through year end and beyond, because we're in a seasonally very strong period, November, December, is there enough momentum to power above that resistance level? Can the S&P push above 4,600 and stay there? I would argue, you know, if there's a chart that tells you the most that you need to know about current market conditions is the 10-year Treasury yield. You can see the 10-year Treasury yield topped out around 5% in mid-October. It's come down. I think, you know, if you look over the last couple years, the times when our growth-oriented benchmarks have been thriving. It's the times when the 10-year yield has been coming down and that's the situation we're in here in October and November of 2023. It's the same situation we were in uh, coming out of the October 2022 low that fueled the uptrend in the first half of 2023 where interest rates remaining, it was basically not going too high and remaining in that 3% sort of realm. As long as we remain below a 10-year yield around 5%, I think this gives room for growth stocks to uh, continue to push higher. That's my presentation, seven questions to ask before every trade. And again, I don't mean to tell you that those are the seven questions all investors should ask. I would encourage, I think the number one takeaway hopefully should be have these questions that you ask. Have a checklist that you go through. And I hope by seeing how I apply those to charts every trading day gives you some confidence to create your own checklist. On that note, if you go to my website called marketmisbehaviorcom slash synergy or just scan the QR code that you're seeing on the, uh, the screen, uh, put in your name and email and I'll email you uh, my own handout that has my checklist in a handy checkable format printable PDF. It also has a second page for you to create your own checklist. I will also include a bonus chart list, uh, hitting some of the key charts I think you should be following going into the beginning of 2024. Really appreciate David and others at uh, Synergy Traders uh, incorporating me and uh, and my work into the uh, Friendsgiving Conference here in November of 2023. Wish you guys a very safe peaceful and joyful holiday season. I hope we can connect again in the new year. And again, go to marketmisbehavior.com slash Synergy, scan the QR code to get more information on some of the things that we talked about here today. Thanks everyone. I'm Dave Keller with us, StockCharts.com. Be well, be safe. Have a great one.